It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Bashcast, brought to you by BoogieBashing.net, betting at 100.1 and above. This is Bashcast episode number 154. There is no finishing line. It is 10 minutes past 10 on Friday the 6th of March 2020. Coming up in this morning's Bashcast, um, we look at the golf and why it's performing so well against um, other types of betting. A look ahead against Cheltenham Festival and what I'm going to expect next week. And after the break, there can only be one topic of conversation and that is everybody's favourite, Virus of the Decade. All of that and more coming up on the Bashcast this morning. So, I'm very sorry about the month break of the Bashcast. Hands in the air, I did record half an episode a couple of weeks ago, uh, but didn't get to the end. Um, My little boy has had chicken pox. Uh, My little girl got chicken pox, and it was like a mild flu, where she just sat around watching um, in the night garden on CBeebies and... I think she was just happy to be away from nursery. And um, my boy got it, and it was like the Black Death. I mean, he had spots all over his ears, face, nose, and everything like that. And um, that had a knock-on effect for the family. Um, he, he, I mean, he was seriously ill. He was taken away in an ambulance um, uh, down to the hospital uh, because his immune system was compromised. It made it very difficult um uh, for him to sleep and as a result I was up all night every night uh, just really really difficult to do the Bashcast which is a shame my New Year's resolution was to do the Bashcast at the most every two weeks not not less frequently than that um, but what can you do when you got a little one year old boy who's really ill um, it sort of has to take precedence and um, I did try and record one a couple of weeks ago I had two issues um, one um, he the crying in the background is quite off-putting both for me recording and also you would be listening to it as well because this microphone picks up everything um and secondly it's like in the evenings i found out i'm just like the older i get in the evenings the more tired i get the earlier i'm going to bed and the earlier i'm waking up i'm absolutely fine in the morning i'm buzzing and i'm full of energy that has flipped around from even a few years ago where I was buzzing and full of energy in the evening. I sounded miserable. I recorded half of the Bashcast and I sounded miserable. So I've deleted it. I'm not, not going to subject anybody to that. On top of that, um, uh, I managed to sprain my ankle deadlifting 150 kilograms a few weeks ago. Did you ever sprain your ankle and um, try and walk around with small children? It's like, what's the point? 
it's just it's not the sprained ankle that's the problem it's the carrying around the kids and that has just been horrendously difficult i've had to take a few weeks off training um um uh, and just mope around generally being a moody poo did manage to go up to nottingham to meet my old one of my old um gambling groups which was good fun i hadn't um caught up with them in some time um found a very nice restaurant is it the world service or something like that up in nottingham um which is decent for lunch despite the fact it was pissing it down um one credit card roulette uh, at the end so eight for free and then um after a couple of bottles of wine and a few beers we hit the grosner casino with the intention of card counting but to tell you the truth after a couple of um bottles of wine and some beers we couldn't do it unless we were doing it out loud. Um, and the floor manager came over to us quite early doors and said, um, generally when she's looking for advantage players card counting in the casino, they're not doing it out loud. And I did shush her and say, asked if she would be able to do it after the amount we'd been drinking this afternoon, that afternoon, which isn't big and clever, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and also the casino made a significant amount of money off of, off of us this afternoon because... It was pretty tricky to get through, just one hand in agreement of um, of what the count was. I had a look at um, favourite performance in the Premiership, Championship, League One and League Two. Um, so when I say favourite performance, this is just having a look at what would happen if we just bet every favourite in, for example, the Premiership. Um, to win £200 this season. So you might think, well, that's a completely pointless exercise. Over time, the efficiency of the price of the favourite and the price of the underdog converges, um, especially on the exchanges. It converges to a real price, and um, you should we should all be making a sort of net um, plus or minus £0 profit or loss over infinite bets using the exchange. That's the theory anyway. If there is any bias, there's an exploit to be made. So you, so looking at a small sample size, which is the 20 or 25 games that we've had in the season so far, far well, why would you do that? Well, the reason to do it is that a lot of boosts, the majority, in fact, hinge over the performance of the favourites. And if the favourites are not performing well, if they're losing and the underdogs are winning, what you tend to find is that not very many of the boosts are coming in. Now, I don't bet on boosts at bookmakers. I don't take Fred's. I don't take Sky's. Generally, I might take a few match odds at BTTS, to be fair, but not the headline ones. I do bet them on the exchanges because I can get a little bit more money on there, sacrifice a little bit of um, value for, for those. So, you know, they can't be thin. And I'm betting on the exchanges because there's no room for manoeuvre between the bookmaker price and what the layers are doing in me. So our, um, there has been a few murmurs around that advantage play on boosts have, has not been particularly successful since, I don't know, November, December. So uh, let's just take every favourite in the 2019-20 season and bet on them in the Premiership. Um, if we did that, we would currently be on a bankroll of minus £2,180. That's betting to win £200 for every favourite. So if Man City are 1-2, um, we need to be betting 
uh, 400 pounds on them um so we would be at minus 2180 pounds um having pretty much never been in profit maybe just a little bit of profit coming up from um october through to november and then it's pretty much been downhill since then and what that means is that the uh, actually i should have done it for the underdog but what that means is that either the draw or the underdog it has been making money in the premiership the championship same story in fact almost exactly the same amount of loss uh, minus 2216 pounds so betting to win 200 pounds on every favorite in the epl and the championship would have been about a minus 4500 pound loss across the two of them um league two's about break even and league one has shown strong performance just having a look at the league one table yeah, so our Coventry's, our Rotherham's, our Plymouth's, sorry, our Portsmouth's, our Wickham's, they've all been predicted to win. Fleetwood, they've been predicted to win. They've been short prices and they've been winning. And our um, underdogs, our Bolton's, our Southend's, our Tranmere's, they've all been predicted to be underdogs and they've been losing. So they've been, um, the market's been getting them right in that division and not in the Premiership. And as a result of it not happening in the Premiership, because there's not a lot of League One boosts around, what that means is that a lot of um, a lot of boosts are losing, and it's just a short-term thing. You know, then you get weeks where all the favourites win and all the boosts win. Well, a majority of the boosts win as well. Uh, the definite correlation between the boosts um, and the favourites winning. If you've been betting on underdogs actually i did do this analysis i forgot you would be about break even in the premiership which does suggest that the draw there's definitely a value proposition this year um and looking at over um an under 2.5 goals betting on the favorite again the premiership shows a loss of minus 1000 pounds the championship a loss of minus two thousand pounds and a league one in profit again so league one is the is the league to be betting on the favourites this season, of course, don't that just because anything has happened up till now doesn't mean that there's any profit to be made, or it's even a plus EV strategy to be doing that between now and the end of the season. These are all short-term um, sample sizes, you know, thirty-five games up until now, even for each team. So uh, it, it's not enough to look at it and say there's a definite strategy there to be targeting League One. Not enough at all, and it's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying. Is that, you know, personally, I've hardly noticed any difference um, generally because um, you sort of got to accept that there are going to be months where things lose. Um, making a loss, just betting on big boosts and featuring the favourites is definitely going to be the kind of thing that can lose over a month, maybe two months, maybe even three months. And sort of got to think of it in a longer term time frame. In three months and we definitely have had some people that have come along and said you know this isn't what i'm expecting i've been betting on boosts for three months and i haven't made any money yeah yeah i'm, I'm really sorry but the, the time scale needs to be longer than three months i don't and, and especially the volume of bets i mean actually you could be betting on boosts for three months you could be pay, placing one bet a week so how many bets have you placed have you placed 12 bets 
I'm not even going to entertain talking to anyone who has a sample size of less than 500 bets. And even then, if those 500 bets are uh, have uh, inclusivity and they've been in a three-month period where all the faves have been losing, then it's the same story. It's like, it, I'm sorry it needs to be longer. Um, sort of manage your expectation for how long it takes for variance to even out over thin value betting. Now, um, um, this means that I could be in a little bit of a hole betting at markets. Not necessarily too bad of a hole. The match odds and BTTS um, have been have been relatively good. Um, haven't totaled up the exact profits, but just targeting them. Um, anywhere Paddy Power do it, William Hill can do it, and Betfred can all... Um, they can all boost match odds and BTTS to 120, 130%. Um, definite trading opportunity available. If you wanted it, where the soon as the boost comes out, go and start putting the backup for the layers to take on this markets and generally towards um, um, kickoff. We know what the fair odds should be using the bookie back bashing tracker. Um, and the other night, what, there, were, there were three in the row. So there was Celtic to win and both teams to score. There was Paris to win and both teams to score. And there was Sociedad to win to nil, which is the same market. It's uh, Sociedad to win and no both teams to score. Um, and they were all big boosts. I, I believe Betvic to Betfred and Betway were the three bookmakers that were doing them. And I'd got in on all of them early and had supplied the layers with their money um, and had got pretty reasonable stakes on for myself and um, almost had the clean sweep. Um, pa um, PSG won 2-1, uh, Sociedad won 1-0, Celtic were 2-all, but were battering down Livingston's door for the entirety of the second half and it very easily could have had the clean sweep. And that'll do for me because those are all at odds at 3.0 and higher. And... Um, um, Th that kind of long-term game um, is going to be around forever, as long as smarkers don't bloody shut my account down, like Betfair did. But um, um, and also, it's there's de definite benefit in having the zero percent commission around, um, and certainly if match play want to um, match, but want to continue doing things like losing the license, which encourages competition around at BetDAC and other places, then, you know, the 0% thing could be something in the future. So uh, I've been a little bit um, shielded from the poor boost performance just because I've really been isolating myself on requester bets and also on um, on these kind of match odds and both teams to score on markets. So I was trying my best not to make this golf cast, but I've got to throw my hands in the air. The golf's where I'm making my money. I'm a professional advantage player. I'm a professional gambler. I'm gambling on golf. I'm gambling on a lot of things, but I'm making my money from golf. <laughs> so I've got to talk about it. Um, so um, since the last Bashcast a month ago, um, where we had Herbert, we've had um, two big winners since then. Um, both are Paddy this time around, so just giving Betfred a little bit of a respite. There. At the AT&T Pebble Beach, we had Nick Taylor, which did throw up the possibility of Taylor Swift, my daughter's favourite musician of all time. But my daughter's four, and she doesn't her, her 
range of musical taste is as narrow as her range of um, acceptance of different food varieties. I heard an interesting thing, by the way, um, about why three and four year olds are so picky eaters. And it's because when you're zero, one and two and you're living in a cave and there are saber tooth tigers, somebody gives you the food. And when you're six, seven and eight, you you are old enough to accept instruction not to eat the poisonous berry over there that's hanging off the cave wall. But when you're three, four, five, you could hear the instruction not to eat eat it, but don't necessarily listen to that instruction, and then you eat it, and then you die. And so evolution has made human beings from the age of three to four, five, maybe six, naturally skeptical of foods they don't recognize and thereby keeping them alive from the poisonous berries and the saber-toothed tigers. So the next time your three or four-year-old turns around and says, I just want chips and I just want Cornetto, that's why. It's evolution's fault, not theirs. Um, so Nick so Nick Taylor couldn't do couldn't do anything to do with Taylor Swift because he does my head in. So let's have a little bit of um let's have a little bit of Patrick Reed. And WGC Mexico. Nick Taylor, by the way, that was a great victory, but it was nothing compared to Patrick Reed, who was in the top five for the majority of the tournament um, at Mexico City, but had dropped away because Bryson DeChampoo had uh, extended a two shot lead with five holes to play and was played exceptionally good golf and so it pretty much looked like the shampoo was going to win it and Patrick Reed was going to come second and I had 250 pounds each way well 125 pounds each way so 250 pounds stake on it 40 to 1 at Patrick Reed in the shops and then I also had another top up online as well so i've got two different betting strategies going on at the same time a target shops and a target essentially sky bet and so i doubled up and occasionally i do double up when there's huge ev it's fun to double up right it just is sometimes it's fun where one or two golfers in the field can be worth twice as much as any other winner um so with nick taylor i had 30 pounds each way 150 to one which was a nice 5400 pounds back from him um up till this year, by the way, what a 2020 we're having. We, we'd already talked about the fact we had Cameron Smith, £100 each way at 50 to 1. Lee Westwood, £60 each way at 90 to 1. And Lucas Herbert, £25 each way at 200 to 1. All at Betfred, who had uh, sort of recommended that I don't, well, we don't bet there anymore with him. Um, Nick Taylor was decent at Paddy. And then the following week, no, it was two weeks later. So there was a week in between Nick Taylor and Patrick Reed. Um... £125 each way on, Pat, um, on Patrick at 40 to 1. Two shots behind Bryson DeChambeau in his fourth round. He then started going bogey, par, par, bogey. And Patrick went the other way and started birdieing his way. And all he needed was to um, get through the dangerous island hole um, on 17 um, and not bogey. The 18th, which he did with some style, and finished two shots, no, one shot ahead of Bison. 
to shampoo. Whilst watching that tournament, by the way, and I saw it happen, and then it exploded into a kind of news story, and I'm not surprised. Paul Azinger. What a twat. <laughs> Former captain of the USA Ryder Cup team and now a television pundit. But um, the, the way the PGA do it, they're almost a parody of themselves. You know when you see the Happy Gilmore films and you have the two... Um, you have the two pundits sitting at a desk looking at the camera with earpieces in, but they're almost playing characters of um, golf pundits sitting at a desk looking at a television camera. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. And they were talking about the PGA Tour in, um, um, as, in, in terms of where it stands against the European Tour. And Asinger... Um, had spoken to Tommy Fleetwood um, as he was chasing victory in the Honda Classic uh, and didn't get it because somebody shouted get in the hole on his backswing, apparently. Um, and then Tommy Fleetwood has won five times on the European Tour and is the 10th ranked player in the world. Um, but Paul Azinger just brushed that CV aside uh, and he said, you're trying to prove to everybody that... Yeah, yeah, that's right. That that international tour um, where that just features, you know, the home of golf and the Open. One thing I will say, uh, which I've noticed, and again, it's probably sample size. I really hope it's not turning into a pattern that could be related to um, to sort of data or anything like that. Is that um, uh, we've definitely been doing better on the PGA Tour than we have on the European Tour recently. I'm sort of getting to the end of day one and having nobody in the top 20 in the European Tour. And um, quite frankly, the results I've been having and the form I've been having in the PGA Tour are simply outrageous. I mean, this weekend, it is Friday morning just now, in the Arnold Palmer Invitational, uh, I selected eight golfers out of 121 for the golf options, and I'm on all all eight of these myself. Um, so eight out of 121, and after day one, and never ever count your chickens after day one of a golf tournament, but after day one, I'm just saying, I'm, on, I'm just saying, Matt Every, 400 to 1, is in first place. Rory McIlroy, 11 to 2, is in second place. Taylor Gooch, 90 to 1, is in third place. And Scotty Schieffer, 150 to 1, is in fourth place. Right? Now, how's that for a reverse forecast? Uh, and that's on the um, PGA Tour. And in the European Tour, after day one, I didn't have anyone in the top 20. And that's not the first week in a row that that has happened i'm just having a look back on at least my recommended bets um this year um south african open we had a blowout which somehow the south african tour is the european tour sony open we had um gray mcdowell place 125 um to one to be fair the abu dhabi was a good tournament because we had westwood win and we had louis heason um the following week 
Um, uh, the Dubai Classic, all we had was a single dead heat place with Kitty Yama at 80 to 1. Um, we had a full place in the Farmers Insurance Open at 150 to 1 with Tom Hogue. Saudi International, full bust. Phoenix Open, we had um, Bubba Watson placing at 30 to 1. Um, uh, AT&T Pebble Beach, as discussed, we had uh, Maverick McNeely placing at 150 to 1 in the Vic Open. It was only Ryan Fox placing, but Kelsey was 20 to 1, shorter odds, shorter EV, much less of a higher stake. Uh, the following week, again, WGC Mexico, we had the winner in Patrick Reed and we had a place in Matsuyama. Um, over at the Genesis Invitational in the European Tour, we just had a couple of place dead heats. Week after week, we're showing um, Puerto Rico Open, um, which again, Puerto Rico, it's the European Tour, full bust. Whereas at the same time, the Honda Classic, we had a place on Gary Woodland. Um, uh, so look, short sample size. Uh, I've definitely noticed that I'm, we are, results-wise, seemingly performing week after week worse on the European Tour than we are on the PGA. Does it mean anything yet? No, not with that number of tournaments. But it's definitely something to monitor. Um, it's definitely something to see if we if there's anything that we can improve or change perhaps a little bit further in the future. Um, it, but also it could completely be down to luck and we could bust out the next... Um, five or six PGA events and make money on the European tour. One way or another, though, definitely this year, my focus is turning more and more away from boosts and football and really just focusing on golf. And I'm going to maintain this objective in 2020. I just want to be a professional golf better whose primary income pays for his kids' shoes and his mortgage um, through um, predicting and betting on the winner of golf tournaments. What more of a responsible and uh, reliable objective can you have in life? <laughs> So next Tuesday, the, is it the 10th of March, it is the Cheltenham Festival. Um, last year and the year before, did some sort of Cheltenham Festival preview bash casts. This year, I think I am less excited about the Cheltenham Festival um, than ever before. So, I mean, let's dismiss the fact that one time out of six, it's not going to go ahead because of the zombie apocalypse i think the the sort of major reason well that i'm not looking forward to it too much is that at some point the bottom has to fall out of the concept around offering concessions like an an imbalance of concessions to new and existing customers and focusing at that around the Cheltenham Festival, because that is historically exactly what has happened. Um, you have enhanced sign-up bonuses, you have enhanced places, and don't get me wrong, there's been a serious amount of money to be made. Um, been making money and targeting the Cheltenham Festival as a means to make money for a decade. Um, profits kind of exploded in 2013 
where I realised the value of the one to four odds and the two or three extra places that were on offer back then when pretty much every single horse in the big handicap fields was uh, valued to back blindly. You know, the, it, don't overanalyze the situation. Um, the big year of profits for me, just looking back at my spreadsheets just now, what, what year is the yellow line? It peaked in um, 2016. Sorry, microphone, I'm speaking too closely into you. So 2016 seems to um, have been the big year and way into five-figure profit for the four days in 2016. I think I remember back, if I, if I remember back as well, there was a huge double delight that came in that Thursday night. And it was one of those where you're like, you're exhausted from all day um, betting on the Cheltenham Festival. You sneak in a double delight just because you're passing a bet Fred and you can get big stakes on and then that comes in as well. Was it Aubameyang? It was Aubameyang before he played for Arsenal. So it, was a, it would have been um, Aubameyang at um, Saint-Étienne. No, 2015. 2016. Uh, Dortmund it would have been. So there was some match with Dortmund on. And it was, a, I'd made, it, was, it was a really funny feeling. I was in the pub with... And it was like a half mix of advantage players and people that didn't bother with advantage play. And we were all, half of us were all on Abemiang. And it was just one of those, it was one of those evenings where you like, you feel like this can't go on forever. Oh, it just did. And it got bigger. And it seems very silly now. It's actually at a point where 2016 it was seemingly very silly. And those were back in the day, I think, my focus in 2016 had shifted to the direction of um, look at one race a day, even though there are opportunities in all races. I thought the maximization of my money could be look at a single race in in, um, uh, in one day and dutch that race over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Just cover every single horse at the correct odds over and over again and then sit back and watch what happens to the profits. And um, that with the DD was well into five-figure pro profits that year. And that was the peak. 2016 was the peak of my profits. And um, it's not like I hadn't tried after 2016. The effort is always the same at the Cheltenham Festival, the feeling of exhaustion at the end of it. But then the proliferation of value peaked in 2016 and then started to reduce in 2017 and then in 2018 now last year in 2019 don't get me wrong there was definitely value around um primarily it was william hill offering um seven and eight places in the big handicap races even at one to five odds um you um that you were finding that, well, there was a couple of things. They were doing it in shops um, on machines. Um, that And that allowed certain people, I know someone, a good friend, who was so organized getting a team together, um, the, the amount of stakes that they got down um, all day, every day, just looking at a mixture of SP and fixed odds on um, those big races, um, he was making serious amounts of profits to challenge what I was making in 2016, well into five figures for the team. I've no idea what the splits were. I wasn't doing it with them, but I'm, I'm aware that that was available and it was definitely possible. And look, if you had 100 online accounts and you didn't care about your 100 online accounts getting restricted, you could do it from the comfort of your own home as well. Okay, but let me tell you, 
remove the William Hill two or three extra places that offered so much value that even SP was going to be um, um, statistically likely to return a profit. Remove that, and what did we have last year? Um, okay, well, you have Bet365 that offer um, something. They always do offer something, and they probably will next week as well. What happens if you don't have a Bet365 account? Now you're Now you're in trouble, right? So remove the Bet365, remove um, William Hill, you probably can get around um, dutching extra places at the new periphery bookmakers. You know, your MoPlays, your Stakers. Um, but in the current climate of these guys going bust and not really being... Sh and Gambling Commission removing... Um, removing licenses and funds either being secure or not being secure no one has an idea where these funds are are being held i mean it's i mean it, okay look it's not the um party poker days where all the executives are using the player bankroll to um sorry not the party poker the full tilt poker days where the executives are using the player um bankroll to pay themselves ludicrous salaries and dine out every single evening but um i wouldn't in the past i would have been more comfortable for some reason in the past um having large sums of money drop in to these periphery secondary bookmakers where you open an account and you don't care about lumping in 200 300 pounds at 33 to 1 each way and then it wins and all of a sudden you've got a 10 grand balance in there and you're like well put your hands up if um you wouldn't be anxious um, about withdrawing that £10,000 and having that just be processed in a couple of days and back in your bank account. Especially if you've been hedging uh, or dutching the race and you know, you're know you sort of reliant that a lot of horses lost over here. So it may not be impossible to do that, but I'm not going to be as comfortable doing that today as I was in 2016, which is a really weird position to be in. You'd think I'd be more comfortable doing that. So look... I don't expect William Hill to offer these big extra place races. They didn't, they they stopped throughout this year. Um, they realized how much money they were probably losing um, on them to idiots like me. Um, and so nothing that's happened in the betting industry and environment in the last 12 months absolutely nothing has suggested that anyone is going to start getting more generous. What you have is you have more and more people who are targeting concessions, free bets, and uh, um, the free bets got easier to lay and they've drifted away and then more and more people are looking at the extra places. And it's got to a position that there is probably quite a lot of significant bias on the exchanges, especially in the place markets, from people. And I'm, I certainly think there's going to be an edge there. But that's not the kind of edge that's going to be possible for a large group of people to exploit. There's certainly going to be value, there always is, in lucky 15s lucky 31s um you know there are enough races i mean 
in Cheltenham, the competitiveness of the prices themselves means that we don't need short price favourites to find value in the field. But despite that, uh, the Arkle Chase, we've got Notebook at 11 to 4. Um, we have Benny Desdieu in the Mayor's Hurdle, who is currently odds on um, anti post. Carefully selected in the National Hunt at 7 to 4. Envoy Allen in the Ballymore Novices, 2.6. Um, Altior in the Champions Chase at 3. Tiger Roll in the Cross Country um, Chase. Uh, Evens, Appreciate It in the Champions Bumper at 13 to 8. The Ryanair Chase. The Stairs Hurdle has Paisley Park um, at 8 to 11. Um, all of these races are going to be really decent um, each way, um, putting the non-favourites into uh, lucky 15s, lucky 31s, lucky 63s, uh, and just making some real simple money um, um, from extrapolating the place money and compounding that into, into these multiples, perhaps getting a bonus on the multiple for one winner or all winners or whatever that the bookmaker might offer. Uh, and the racing tracker on bookiebashing.net is um, is as good a tool for determining that value as any. And it's really fast. I mean, that's the difference between that and dutching a race. It's really fast. Is there going to be as much equity, EV and money to be made doing that as in previous years, dutching a race? No, quite simply no. But that's... Uh, a product of the fact that nothing has suggested that the bookmakers are going to be offering more value this year. Um, things like um, the William Hill Cheltenham Your Odds, um, over 100, they're offering over 120 lengths um, to be the total winning distance over the four days, um, which has happened once since 2001. Okay, so, oh, sorry, since 2000. So given that it's happened once in the last 20 years, what odds do you think William Hill are giving for every race to be over 120 lengths? Four to one. That's what you can get. Four to one on something that's happened once out of the last 20 years. I mean, I know there's more to the problem than that. You have to look at race composition and things, but that it's just definitely terrible you know it's definitely terrible when the coupon in william hill offers four to one all you have to do is go online and see seven to one which will still be dreadful as well and um, every single day of the race um uh, every day of the festival to have um a total distance of the winners over 20 lengths well in any particular day i make it about a 44 percent chance just looking backwards towards 2000 so if it's a 44 percent chance for any single day um to be over 20 lengths we're looking at about 25 to 1 the your odds are 10 to 1 so all of these they're looking like they're less than 50 percent ev um can't see any particular value there perhaps they might boost one and then offer really low stakes on it well no one's going to get rich quickly doing that so i hate to be a harbin hard harbinger of harbinger well yeah i'll use that i hate to be a harbinger of doom but all i'm going to say is what my strategy is and i'm not coming at this from a strategy of someone that's got a site to manage and value to find i'm coming at this from my own personal betting perspective and that is 
2020 is the year that um, I'm downing tools. And I just want to see what happens elsewhere. And I, you, do you know what? I'd love it to be wrong. I'd love it to be wrong. And everybody makes um, a load of money um, with free bets and extra places. And I got it completely wrong. And everybody gets rich. Well done, punters. You know? Um, um, I, I'll take absolutely no delight in 2020 being the year that the arse falls out of uh, the concessionary value um, at the bookmakers at Cheltenham Festival. It's just, I have to be pragmatic and realistic and nothing that's happened in the last year gives me any information or any optimism that it's going to be anything other than a complete shit show, scrambling around for five and ten pound free bets which end up getting accounts restricted. Um, it It... There's a return on time that needs to be expected that may not be worth it, in my opinion. And there's so much going on elsewhere. And the double delight with Aubameyang for Dortmund in 2016 was a perfect example of that. Not only was he value, I remember him being really big value as well. Like This, this is back in the day where you, the Betfred no longer boosted uh, one um, striker in every match to be pretty much an arbitrage opportunity so you could back and lay if you wanted to and you got a free shot on him getting the second goal of the match as well as the first goal um, so it, it was past those days but yet still because all the traders and everybody there's only a finite amount of um, resource and there's a finite amount of effort that could be put in managing books and things like that everybody's looking at the Cheltenham Festival what ended up happening is that there's loads of value elsewhere in the football and things like that. And I, I just suspect, I just suspect that that could be the case next week. Well, we're very good at finding value in football. We have automated trackers that make pet betting on lucky 15s and 31s and horse racing particularly easy. No, it's not as much equity in EV as dutching massive races at, um, at, at ridiculous additional um concessionary terms but i don't see them happening i don't want to plan and expect for them to happen because i genuinely don't think that they're going to so um my strategy for cheltenham next week is going to be to look at it hard on the sunday and look at it hard on the monday um and to be around on the tuesday morning which is generally the day of the week where more value is around because the bookmakers are trying to get you to bet with them. You definitely see, I mean, at the lower level, you see things like um, free bet if your horse loses on the very first race. And the reason they do that is because they want your whatever bankroll. Most people have 100 or 200 pounds to spend on the Cheltenham Festival. So they want your back, that, that 100 or 200 pounds in Skybet or in Betfred or in William Hill. And if they offer you a refund on the very first race... Um, then that's where your limited or the average Joe's limited bankroll happens to be. Nobody offers much value on the Gold Cup because we're done then. It's Friday, you know? You know the, the average person doesn't withdraw from one bookmaker and go to the next bookmaker because there are better terms there. They're more loyal than that. They can't be arsed. They've got a limited bankroll and they just sit there. And that's why you see this huge value on the Tuesday morning. Um or the first races on the Tuesday, and then you don't see it on the Friday. And if you look, like I'm just looking at my um, my profit by day, I did have a 
freak outlier of that Thursday in 2016. But remove that. There's a general pattern where decent money is made on the Tuesday, a little bit less on the Wednesday, a little bit less on the Thursday, and then the Friday tends to be about the same as the Thursday. So it's just sort of re- reducing in opportunity and um, uh, throughout the days to the end of the week. Well, um, I can see myself possibly golfing on the Friday if I need to. You know, I'm not going to scramble around for peanuts. Um, it's balance between effort, time, um, and reward. Um, so, listen, prove me wrong, bookmakers. Make a make make it another Cheltenmas for every advantage player. Value better, matched better. Whoever it is. If you can make it good for everybody and you lose out, I'll be seriously happy. Uh, And I hope you prove me wrong. But my strategy is hopefully to not be looking at it on the Friday and to go golfing because there's nothing around. Okay, guys, that's enough for the first half. You are listening to the Bashcast, and it's brought to you by BookieBashing.net.
and welcome back to the Bashcast. That was Time to Give by The White Lies from their album 5v2, released nine days ago. In the bookie bashing news. So the big story of 2020 uh, was going to be whether Elon Musk was going to create a Mad Max style um uh, van for all of our roads but instead it looks like the um, Chinese military virus uh, that has escaped and is going to turn the world into a zombie apocalypse is taking over instead the one thing it definitely is doing is causing havoc with uh, what the plans are going to be this year which seriously for me seem to be more and more focused towards tending to the vegetable patch in the garden because getting hopes up on sporting events going ahead um might be um creating a little bit of false hope um the markets on betfair for these are just fascinating so the first one was um in how many days four days time will racing go ahead at Cheltenham on next Tuesday, the 10th of March. Now, I'll tell you what, there's been some serious money to be made uh, trading this market. £2.9 million have been traded on Betfair. Um, And we're four days from the festival. I still can't believe it's quite as high as 1.17 to back, 1.18 to lay. Uh, That's for the yes. So if you think it's not going to go ahead, you can get a roll of the dice on it well 11 to 2 although it's right in front of my eyes it's just changed to 6.4 from 6.6 to back someone's just swallowed up all of that money and the reason this is quite good to trade is i think every time there's a news story every time there's a news story that negatively um has something to say about the coronavirus and let's be fair there hasn't been that many positive news stories come out about it. But anytime anyone dies, anytime there's a, a, a new announcement about figures, anytime they even say that there's going to be a Cobra meeting to discuss a possible plan. So all that is, is that there's going to be a meeting to discuss a plan that hasn't been written yet. We see movement on this market. Um, and generally, uh, any news item um, that comes out, um, sees the uh, no price shorten, i.e. It, um, there's a little bit of um, anxiety. People think, oh, it's not going to go ahead. Someone's died. It's not going to go ahead. Especially since one of the early, um, one of the early counties to have uh, an official coronavirus patient, infected zombie person, uh, was Gloucestershire, the home of the Cheltenham Festival. So it's like, well, it's just going to spread like wildfire. Actually traded us... Um, Odds on to not go ahead. Um, it was odds on at 2.0. Um, spent a lot of time up at 1.8, 1.7. Then they had the Cogra, not Cobra, Cogra meeting, um, which suggested that it's a bit early for us to be cancelling widespread sporting events. I don't know. It's a, it's, a, it's a balance of interest. You do serious damage to the economy, not just the economy of the sport, the federation, the athletes, um, but there's the the secondary and tertiary industries that rely on that, transport networks, um, um, cafe owners with breakfasts. I mean, there's a lot of people that rely um, on sporting events going ahead 
um, to make money. Uh, professional advantage players, for example, you know. Although I'm, I'm honestly, um, I look at what's going on with these markets, and I do tend to think I've got to sort of slightly rein in any expectation this year and make it shorter, simply because you can. It's already happened in Italian Serie A, where loads of games are being postponed. It's not going to be impossible that a lot of sporting events are postponed, and that's going to have a real effect on liquidity in markets and things like that. So, okay, Cheltenham Festival is, you know, is going to go ahead according to the markets at 10, oh, 10 minutes past 10 on Friday morning. It's going to go ahead one every five times. What about the rest of them? Well, the Euro 2020s to kick off on the 12th of June. So here we're aligned on... Um, the zombie apocalypse not spreading across Europe. And there's a little bit more uncertainty projecting this far in the future because a lot of people are saying, well, let's just get to summer and the virus isn't as effective in summer as it is in the winter. Flu's always a lot worse in the winter and maybe it'll be better. So um, surely this market's going to give us a little bit of more confidence. No, in fact, we are odds on. Ah, it's actually just shifted as well. I think some news literally just come out. Um, but last traded price was 1.99 before I started talking that um it would go ahead so that it was odds on not to go ahead in the 12th of june that's the euro 2020s you know scotland have been waiting a infinite years to be in the playoffs for a major tournament uh, so you know I, I, big expectations north of the border that there was going to be silverware in the cabinet this year and now it looks like um the zombie apocalypse is going to suggest that it's not going to happen um Really gappy market, only £600-£817 traded, but if you want a yes for it going ahead, you can get um, 2.12 at the moment in time. What about the Olympics? The Olympics is the big story. No, the Olympic ceremony will not take place on the 24th of July. 1.64 last traded price so two times out of three the olympics is going to be cancelled i don't know why the well the olympics is slightly different actually than the euros because it is in tokyo in japan um difficult position for the ioc to be in um in geneva yesterday the the top dog at the ioc thomas bach had a barrage of questions about whether the Olympics was going to be delayed. Um, uh, Japan's Olympic minister had said 24 hours earlier in an unscheduled statement that um, the Olympics could be delayed. And again, there's, there's hardly a larger economic sporting event in the world than the Olympics. And this has serious repercussions for a number of people's livelihoods if it doesn't go ahead. So Thomas Back said there was no plan B. They had a meeting and the words cancellation and postponement were not even mentioned in the meeting. And according to the IOC, it's full steam ahead. It's going to happen and there's no plan B. Well, guess what? If, if you think that that's true, Thomas Back, why don't you go and back it on... Um, on Betfair, because although it's gappy, you get about 136% back if it doesn't go ahead. It's not, I mean, it's more likely not to go ahead than it is to go ahead. And yet they're saying 
you know it's going to happen and it's because there's so many other it's because there's so many other things that are influenced by any statement made by the IOC who decides if the Olympics goes ahead? Under the heading Termination Clause 66 of the official Tokyo 2020 host city contract, the IOC is the authority that has permission to withdraw the games from the city in the event of war, which happened in 1916, 1940 and 1944, civil disorder or boycott, which is unlikely in Tokyo, or if the organisation believes the safety of the participants would be threatened for any reason whatsoever, and the zombie apocalypse probably falls in, um, in under that category. Um, the document also states that the IOC can terminate if the games do not take place in 2020, there's no reference to postponement. So the IOC is the one that's in control, but it will act, of course, on the advice of the experts in the World Health Organization and the Japanese government, which is a really, really good um, video from Jurgen Klopp the other day where some journalist says, um, what do you think about the coronavirus? And he just sits there and goes, why are you asking me about the coronavirus? It's like, why don't you ask me about football strategy? You know, why do you ask just famous people uh, their opinions on things they know nothing about? It's not his place to comment about the coronavirus. He takes advice from people who are experts in the matter. Which is exactly right. So, um, will racing go ahead for the Grand National? Um, uh, you can get odds on or no, so that's less likely to happen. You know, it's, uh, chances are that the Grand National or, or the Aintree Festival isn't going to go ahead on the 2nd of April. Um, there was some rugby tournament that was meant to be held in Japan, Sevens Tournament, um, that is off. The Asia Rugby Sevens Tournament isn't taking place. Um, the Six Nations is in disarray because although Italy are definitely going to finish bottom, um, well, no, no, their match against Ireland this weekend, uh, which was meant to be taken, place on Sunday despite the fact it's in Ireland I think um, the movement of people was the risk there so that's off um, and the match against England is off so we're going to have like a, it's postponed but it could be a very long time before games against Italy are played and there's a lot again it's it's not just about playing these matches behind um, closed doors because there's a lot of secondary and tertiary industries that rely on the ticket sales on um, and things like that so it's a very, very difficult position to be in. I mean, there's every chance that these games simply won't be played and we'll have an incomplete, um, we'll have no Grand Slam winner, winner um, we'll have an incomplete Six Nations this year. Um, so it's utterly chaos. It is utterly chaos, but the important thing isn't even sort of my livelihood as an advantage player or the sporting events going ahead. Thoughts really have to be out there um, uh, projecting forward to what we're going to do in the summer in the event of the zombie apocalypse. Personally, I'm stocking up on shotguns and crossbows right now um, and um, I probably won't be going outside uh, this side of September. Okay, guys, look, whatever it is that you're betting on, do stay safe from hordes of the undead. And if you are choosing to completely smash and attack Cheltenham with vigour and a lot of attention next week, 
I genuinely wish you all the best. I hope you take the bookies to Chinatown. This is Tom signing out. Did the earth move fire and Did the earth move fire and Did the earth move fire and